0: Hi! you found the Out of the Ordinary Podcast, where we believe that the very best stories grow out of the soil of ordinary
1: life. I'm Christy Purifoy. And I'm Lisa Jo Baker. And a few of our favorite ordinary things in this extraordinary time of global quarantine are FaceTiming with long-distance friends, the smell of fresh sheets, and all those overdue library books I have that have now had their fines waived
0: and <laughs> Lisa Joe mine are headphones four pairs on four kids the internet which is keeping us connected and my seedlings my baby seeds under grow lights in the basement friends may you find joy in today's conversation get comfy here we go this podcast is called out of the ordinary because Lisa Joe we tell stories about our ordinary lives we want to help people see their ordinary lives with new eyes but i don't think anyone's life is ordinary these days do you
1: no which is appropriate since this is sort of an out of the ordinary week Ooh, and usually we just have that once a year you know we try to imagine what it's like to live through this bizarre week that the disciples mm-hmm. went through of fear and insecurity and vulnerability and feeling afraid for what the future holds. Like, we try to get into that mindset. And how interesting that this year, in Holy Week, in the season of Lent, now about to cross the threshold into Easter, we're living with a lot of trepidation in our homes.
0: Mm -hmm. You're right. Holy Week is always an extraordinary week. It's always a not-ordinary week, but nothing about our lives is ordinary right now. Goodness, that's true. So, some things that aren't ordinary for me— Normally, this time of year, oh, man, it, oh, it just makes me sad to even say it out loud. I mean, I, it's been in my head, but you say it out loud and it becomes real. We won't, for the first time since moving to Maplehurst, we won't host our big neighborhood Easter egg hunt oh. where we hide thousands of eggs filled with candy and toys and invite all the neighbors. We've done that every year. We've talked about here on the podcast, I've written about it in books. It's the most special thing. And so normally this week would be that last minute frenzy with my kids. We all sit around the dining room table and we um we fill eggs over and over for hours and it's actually a lot of fun. <laughs> it's like it becomes this like soothing rhythmic thing like you don't even want to stop. We'll finish a bag of candy and the kids immediately say, "Can we go out and buy more candy?" because we just want to keep going. It's so much fun. But we aren't doing that. We aren't filling eggs. We aren't doing that around the dining room table. Instead, my dining room, probably like your big farmhouse table, has turned into a school room. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: It's a complete disaster. I don't know when we'll next eat in there. But it's kind of great, too. There's good things happening in that room. But there are Chromebooks and laptops and headphones and paper and pencils and books and Dog toys and <laughs> else's craft supplies strewn all over that room. So that's not ordinary. And another thing that is very not ordinary, but is often quite sweet, is that I'm eating lunch with my kids most days. Um, honestly, some days after the morning of schoolwork, we're just kind of sick of each other and we scatter.
1: <laughs> Us too. Or like all watch a yeah. put her on a show altogether yeah. or something.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we just have to decompress and they're on their own and not even know what they eat for lunch. But Um, especially earlier in the week. So, if you catch me on like Monday, Tuesday, (laughs) (laughs) then often I'll make something, even if it's just tuna fish for everyone to have a sandwich, or um, man, I was really on it on Monday morning. I fell off that wagon fast. But Monday, I made tomato soup for lunch, Mm. um, and we had tomato soup and grilled cheese, and we sat down together, which of course in my normal, ordinary life never happens because all of my kids go to school. They go to You know, I don't homeschool, they go to school. So I never eat lunch with them on a weekday, but we're eating lunch and something else this week. So I am showing you here, our listeners by this point, I think know that um, in these extraordinary times, you and I aren't recording in person here at Maplehurst, but we're using Skype. (laughs) So through the computer screen here, I'm showing you the cover of this gorgeous book that just came out. I should say as well, this is not sponsored in any, any way here on the podcast. It just came this week, and I couldn't wait to tell you about it, Lisa Joe. It's called Stories of the Saints. It's this gorgeous illustrated picture book, but I'm sure it's for adults as much as for kids. It is by Carrie Wallace. It's illustrated by Nick Thornborough. And we have been reading this book at lunch, and my children um, don't know a lot about the the traditional stories of the saints. I didn't really grow up with many of these stories either, so some of them are new to me as well. But we've been reading these kind of wild stories of courage and miracles. We're still in the early early pages of the book, and it goes in chronological order. So, these are the old stories of um, faithful people who were willing to go to into the Colosseum with the, the beasts. And um, I have to say, <laughs> my boys especially are riveted, but it has brought up all kinds of questions and interesting conversations. But Lisa Jo, the reason I'm telling you about this book right now is that I was really taken with some of the language in the introduction because what it did for me and I think for my kids is show this this bridge between these old stories that can seem so out of touch, right? Like we don't live in those times. We don't, we aren't threatened with that kind of persecution for our faith, or at least not in in the country where you and I live here in the United States. And so what do these stories have to do with us? But I loved, I loved some of the language in this in this book. And I, I'm just going to read a couple sentences for our listeners because I think, um, I think this is where the where our conversation is headed today, and I think there's something in here for helping us to think about um, our ordinary slash extraordinary lives right now in these very extraordinary times of this um, uh, pandemic. So the reason, our writer here tells us in the introduction, the reason that these stories of the saints, why they've persisted, I mean, why do we keep telling these stories? The reason, she says, is that when people stand up for justice, or mercy, or love, they may see miracles, but they may also find themselves in mortal danger, or maybe both, like it's not either are. Miracles and mortal danger. But these stories also tell us that when we take a stand, we're not alone. God, full of love, the power at the heart of the universe, is with us. And no matter how flawed or frightened we feel, when we let the courage of faith transform us, the whole world can be transformed too. The courage of faith. It also says this, so it's it's their stubborn hope. (laughs) These saints had this stubborn hope in something beyond this world. And it's that hope, that stubborn hope that makes saints brave and good. I was talking with my kids this week about how these saints aren't people who are born just better or braver, um, but it's, it's their hope that transformed them, that made them brave and good. And as well, the saints aren't just these people who point to things that the rest of us can't see. It's not just that they say, hey, there's another life, there's another world over there. They don't just point at it. Instead, led by their faith, they actually bring the better world to be. They, they, they make it present today in our everyday in our world. And then they invite us in. They say you can come in too. That's what saints do and that's why these stories have persisted. And that is why I'm going to go on reading these stories with my kids because I think they are telling me something about what my ordinary life can be in these extraordinary times even if, Lisa Joe, I am not one of those first responders on the front lines. I'm not a nurse, I'm not a doctor. I'm not um EMT paramedic. I'm not a grocery store manager or um, cashier. These frontline people who are doing so much, I'm not one of those. I'm I'm called to just stay at home. Um, but I think these stories are showing me that if i let courage, this courage of faith and hope transform, even my stay-at-home everydayness right now, that it can become something something more. And I don't know, it's given me I think it's prompted me to think about those who are are out there risking their lives right now as possibly our modern-day equivalent, right? Our modern-day saints. I know you've been telling me a little bit about your dad Mm -hmm. in South Africa and what he's up to. I think he's... I think he's probably one of these saints,
1: these brave, courage, oh, man. If, courageous, hopeful saints. If ever there was someone who meets the label of stubborn faith, that is certainly what <laughs> applies. I don't know if he would like the word saint at all, but stubborn faith, <laughs> I think, is true because you're right. You know, especially in the season of Holy Week, that's what Jesus is doing. Ultimately, he is pointing us. His death, his sacrifice, is not an end it's a signpost, right? He is pointing us to the kingdom, to his kingdom. Mm -hmm. That is why he was here. He was always saying that the kingdom of heaven is now. It's now. If you have eyes to see, if you have ears to hear, he told all the stories trying to let people know the kingdom of heaven is now. And his life and then his death and then his resurrection are pointing to that. There is more. And so when I think about people— in the world with us today who live lives like signposts pointing to mm-hmm. the more we receive that and we're able to bring it into our homes and become signposts for our kids too and and i think you do that with your kids through literature and my dad happens to be doing that through medicine because hmm. he's in his early 70s but he's a medical practitioner who's practiced forever he's a family doctor a huge thriving practice in pretoria south africa and He told me that he has been asked, would he be willing to let his practice be designated as a COVID-19 friendly practice, which means for patients who have the virus, if they have other ancillary things going on with them, right, they need a doctor to look at them and would he be willing, which I have a lot of complicated feelings when he told Mm -hmm. me that because as you know, if anything happened to him, I, I couldn't go, I'm trapped here but he just said to me, on the one hand, it's a scary thing to think about. But on the other hand, he said, Lisa Joe, all these non-believers are signing up. How can I? How can I believe and not be willing to go? And he said, I just feel like when I talk to my patients and I have patients come in and they're nervous, just like you and I. It would be like a mom coming in with kids who are scared. He says, I get to tell them, listen to me, listen. All of heaven is watching us right now. Like, either what we believe is true, always, or it isn't. And if it isn't true now, what's the point? You know, mm-hmm. what is the point of what we believe? And I'm telling you, it has upped the ante. I, <laughs> Easter has often felt like it's this lovely, sentimental time of year where we have— feelings of sadness and we're moved by the stories and we celebrate and we read and we try really hard to put ourselves in the place of what it might have felt like. And we want to remember the sacrifices and we want to think, would I be brave? But man, like we're actually living in a time right now where those questions feel a lot more real. Mm -hmm. And when I talk to my dad, it's scary and I want to talk him out of it. And at the same time, his faith is a journey that's a very powerful thing. And when he holds it up for me like a signpost, and I realize, Lisa Joe, like either everything he's taught you your whole life is true or it isn't. And now's the moment where it really matters. It's been a really almost um naked experience of looking mm. at your own faith and wondering, oh, like, do I believe it enough? Do I believe it to death? Do I believe it to death, which is mm-hmm. what the saints were able to answer that question, right They believed it all the way to death and i 'm not saying I think people should rush out and th- you know, risk their lives. My father is doing everything he can to minimize risk. They have medical special medical masks and uh gloves in our house at home in South africa they 've converted the entire you know bottom level into just a special zone for him. He leaves all his clothes in the garage. He showers. He doesn't interact with the rest of the family. Like they are doing everything you're supposed to do to be deeply safe. Um, He actually has, they've been vaccinated just against regular flu. Like they've done everything you can do, right? Within uh, responsible, you know, behavior. But at the same time, his point to me is, do we believe what we say we believe, even if it points you through death? Back to life. And if ever there was the time to ask that question, that time is this week, right? Like, Mm -hmm. this is the time because Jesus' disciples were constantly telling him, Don't go to Jerusalem. It's too risky. Like, don't go up there. They want to kill you. Don't go. Don't put yourself in danger. Don't put yourself in harm's way. But Jesus believed that the kingdom was real. Like, it wasn't just a story, it wasn't a parable, it wasn't, um, you know, a fairy tale. It's truth. And this week, Christy, we've had such interesting conversations with my kids because they've seen me just cry quite a lot mm-hmm. over my own fears about my dad, about what could happen. They ask about him all the time. We give updates about how just on a practical level, how careful they're being. The you know, All his kids have made big cards that are stuck all over the walls of the room he's quarantined <laughs> in. Um But they've asked, you know, why did Jesus do miracles? Why did he heal people? Why did he raise Lazarus from the dead if we're just all going to die anyway? Like, Mm -hmm. what is even the point of that? You know, if we believe in this God who then can heal us, but we're going to die anyway, what's the point? So we had this really interesting after-dinner conversation, which is rare for our family because we are not very good at, like, deliberate Bible time or deep conversation. But it became this very— intense conversation, and it was so interesting to unpack this notion of what Jesus was doing when he healed Lazarus or he healed sick people, that he wasn't just doing it for the individual, that everything Jesus does is a living story, a parable, and by making it right, by making the sickness back to health or the death to life. By making it right, he's giving a picture of what he's pointing to. The kingdom of heaven is now. This is what it looks like in the kingdom of heaven. It looks like life, health, wholeness. Shalom, right? The good Hebrew word. So he was constantly pointing people to what he was coming to make a path toward. And Zoe said the most interesting thing to us then, she said, so so are you saying maybe then death isn't a bad thing to be scared of? It's more like a present, like It's death is just the wrapping paper. And when you take off the wrapping paper, there's all this life and there's heaven. And we were just Mm. like staring at her and saying, (laughs) yes. And Peter said, that's exactly what Easter is. Jesus came and took the scary part out of death. And he left for us the present behind, which is Mm. life. So yes, Zoe, we unwrap through death. This gift of life that God has for us, that He's coming to offer us. And so people like my dad, who are just teaching me, no matter how old I get, I feel like he's still teaching me, if we believe that is true, will we live like it, is mm. really what he's saying. And, and I think that's why the saints are so moving, mm-hmm. because they lived like they actually believed that.
0: Mm. You know what? I don't know if I would have understood this before you and I started doing this podcast but we tell stories every week about our ordinary lives, and we never run out of them. And Which is surprising, <laughs> yes. It's surprising, right? And week after week, we find that there are just these layers and layers of of meaning in just our ordinary stories. Um, and so you said something just now. You said that everything Jesus did was telling a story, like He was living in such a way that it it was a signpost, and it was telling a story about the kingdom of God and what the kingdom of God is like. and now I know, again, because you and I have been telling these stories week after week that we don't, our lives don't have to look like, they may not look like um, like Jesus' walk to the cross. They may not look like, goodness, what were some of the stories I read with the kids this week? We read about well, even polycarp, like the disciples and too. we read about, yeah, or the disciples, the way, um, you know, their, their deaths, we read about um, Perpetua and Felicity and um, how they died in the Colosseum. So our lives may not look like that, but our lives are still telling a story. We're still writing a story with our actions and and with our lives. And so what does that mean for me right now in this season of being at home, of living in a different way? I guess I just yeah, these these extraordinary stories shouldn't make us feel as if our lives, our ordinary lives are somehow less than or Uh, too quiet to be heard. I think one thing that I have become convinced of as we've done this podcast is that our ordinary lives speak quite loudly and quite powerfully. And so I can be so inspired by your dad, but his faith is also my faith. His hope is my hope. And so if anything, I feel not a distinction between us, even if I do feel an admiration (laughs) and a gratitude, um, but, I feel like, yes, this is the life I too participate in mm. this life of Christ, this life of hope, um, and so, yeah, what what does that look like for us this week, this holy week because it 's not going to be like any other holy week we 've had we 're not we 're not going to go to church we 're not going to hide our eggs. Um, those sort of outward wrappings aren 't there, and yet I have to believe that the core of it, whatever that core is, is still present and powerful and real. And telling stories helps me remember that, helps me see it, I think.
1: And I think about the people that are staying home, you know, like my dad's wife, Funda, she's home with all the kids. She's us, you know, she's there mm-hmm. keeping the kids fed and safe and educated and loved and secure. <laughs> and my dad is out trying to make that same offering to people who are afraid because they're sick. And I think that at the end of the day, if the stories are what are the arrows pointing, right, the signposts pointing to Christ, pointing to His kingdom, then we are all responsible to live in such a way that points like that. And I think it's why last Mm -hmm. week it was so powerful, the stories we shared from this community, because all of those are stories of hope, of love, of kindness, of peace, of joy, of faith, like all Mm -hmm. the things that are the fruit of that kingdom, the fruit of the kingdom of God. And We get to do that. We get to choose to do that. And I mean, something as beautiful as my sister-in-law, who's also a doctor, and I had been telling her how we couldn't find toilet paper in the area, and it was very, very stressful. And she just got online and found some shipping company and just shipped us some that she had found through her contacts. I mean, like those acts of love, that's. Life in the time of darkness, that's saying I mm-hmm. won't be held hostage by my fears. That's saying I will live a life that points to something other than just myself, which is what Jesus is doing. It's that that willingness to lay yourself down for someone else. And we do that mm-hmm. in a thousand, thousand different ways, no matter where we are in our homes across the world.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm glad you share that story because sometimes isn't it about it's about receiving the stories that other people are telling. So year after year, right, we have celebrated Easter in our neighborhood by telling a particular story with our Easter egg hunt. I mean, it's a story of welcoming spring, welcoming new life after winter. Often it's been the first time neighbors have really seen each other or hung out together because, you know, it's been cold. And now now we're getting out of our houses again. You know, so it's a story of relationship and community and all these good things. And this year we can't tell that story. But I had a similar experience. I um, I had a text from a neighbor about something unrelated, and when I responded, I joking, sort of jokingly said, yes, but does that come with toilet paper? Because we cannot find any. <laughs> and she immediately texted me back and said, I have some. I'll bring it over. I'll leave it on your porch. And Lisa Jim, my first thought was, oh, I can't let her do that. I mean, she has kids, too. I. I just, I can't, I should tell her like, hey, we're not down to our last role. When we're on our last role, then maybe. Mm-hmm. Or I don't know, my my first instinct was somehow to not receive that thing she wanted to do, that hope she wanted to offer, that tangible expression of her love. And And then I did think in my head, Christy, every year that family has come to your Easter egg hunt and they've participated and they have received what you have given. And this year you can't give, but she has offered to give. And immediately I realized, oh yes, I do want that toilet paper. (laughs) I mean, I wanted it all along, but something was holding me back from receiving it. And so I ended up responding, oh gosh, yes, that would be great. That would be great. And, um, and it was. Do not <laughs> look at toilet actually. paper
1: gift horse in the mouth. <laughs> yeah. It's
0: like in Pride of Place, I have this um old armoire in my bedroom. And I don't know, what did I think was gonna happen to it? Are the kids gonna plunder it? Maybe. I don't know. But I put the big old it was one of those big Costco packs. Oh, wow. and I got it That's up on the good armoire. Stuff.
1: That's like, like treasure. So I
0: can just see it all the time. Yeah, it's treasure <laughs> up there. And then when the kids need it, I'll I'll go and carefully, you know, pull one out. But you know, my neighbor is, is telling a story through her actions and through her response um, to my to my need and to receive that story, I think, was, was the best thing to do. Um, it, yeah. <laughs> I, I've got toilet paper. Oh, my goodness. These are such ordinary things. Right. And yet they're not, right? They're absolutely well, not.
1: Yes. And, you know, it's interesting because I think sometimes in crises like this, we are— Asking questions, we tend to always ask the why, and we're looking to Christianity to try to answer the experience, like to make sense of it. Like, why is this happening? God, where are you? Mm -hmm. And instead, we don't always have a God who answers the why question. Instead, He says, I'll come be with you in your confusion, Mm -hmm. right? Emmanuel, Mm -hmm. God with you. I will come and I will be with you. And I think about your neighbor she's offering to you really the equivalent mm-hmm. of coming to be with you. And, and mm-hmm. you recognize when you stare lovingly at your Costco-sized toilet paper, Yes, <laughs> how powerful that is. Because that that yeah. toilet paper is evidence of her withness. She is with mm-hmm. you now in this mm-hmm. crisis. And I think that's so much the power of Jesus and really the power of Christianity. The power of Christianity isn't to try to solve the why question. Mm-hmm. It's to say there's a God who's with you. And I read the most beautiful article by N.T. Wright, who you know, I just oh, I cannot I think of that a one. podcast yeah. without him. <laughs> So, if you haven't heard of him, he is a really kind of a modern-day C.S. Lewis, in my opinion. He's British and an incredible writer and thinker when it comes to all things theology. And he had an article this week in Time magazine where he was really saying Christianity isn't here to answer the coronavirus question. It's not here to explain it. The power of Christianity is it's here to give you space to lament to be sad and confused, and to say it's okay to feel that way. Mm -hmm. Isn't that the most amazing thing? And Mm -hmm. that that is really what the Easter season is. It's a time of Christ as His own grief, grief on behalf of Jerusalem, grief on behalf of Himself and what He has to go through, His own fear. He's very honest about it. And He asks His disciples to just be with Him. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. The God who's Mm -hmm. with us asked His disciples to be with Him in His moment of greatest fear. And then He walks to the cross and He dies so that He will be with us in those experiences and redeem them to give us, as Zoe so beautifully said, the gift to remove the fear, but to give us the gift of life. Mm-hmm. And I, if you're listening this week and feeling confused and sad, we just want to acknowledge that. We just want to recognize it and say we're happy to just sit here with you mm-hmm. <laughs> in that. But I think we want to make sure we take an opportunity here on this show to tell you, if you haven't heard it before, that we really believe Jesus is real and that He loves you and that He is a God who wants to be with you. All you have to do is say, yes, please. (laughs) He's already there (laughs) waiting to be with Mm. you. And we encourage you, if you haven't before, to actually talk to him about that. He's Mm. real enough that you can talk to him about your smallest worries about toilet paper and your biggest fears for the people in your life that you're afraid of. And you can talk to him about your own soul and tell him how much you want to be with him and have life with him. We really encourage you, if you haven't before, to take a moment and talk to Jesus like the real person that He is, who walked a real road, because He came to be with you through your scariest times.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm reminded, uh, so you've mentioned a few times, you know, Jesus was the one who rose Lazarus from the dead, who accomplished that miracle and brought His friend back to life, but of course in the story that we have it tells us that Jesus didn't march in and just do that but instead he paused and he grieved and that famous verse in the Bible the shortest verse but such a powerful one that says Jesus wept just that Jesus wept and I think another question if I were Zoe I'd be asking and here I'm I'm just going to put it out there is not only why did Jesus raise Lazarus if he was just going to die again? But also, why, if he had the power of life to raise him, did he pause to grieve? Why mm. did he cry? Like what, what? Why? And I don't know fully <laughs> or even very much, but I do know that he did. And that somehow I think that honors and… Mm. I don't know, makes meaningful our own grief, our own tears, so that just because we have hope, the, the stubborn hope I spoke right. about from the introduction to that book of the saints or you know, the hope your father has that allows him to get up and go and, and do this hard work, even if we have that hope, it doesn't mean that we don't feel the weight of sorrow. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean that we don't feel um, the depth of, of grief over the suffering, over the loss of life all of it is real and deserves to be lamented, deserves to be um, honored and acknowledged. And maybe that's what this week is for. I don't know, Lisa-Jo, I'll just be honest. I haven't known what to do in our home this week for Holy Week. I mean, I know there are, okay, so in my church, we do the foot washing on Monday, Thursday. Like, we could kind of replicate that at home, sure. But is that it? Or Tomorrow we could cut some branches from the yard we could process into the house I guess like we could try to mimic the outward these forms of worship but I think I have sense that that alone isn't enough that that I don't want it to just be this outward performance but something more of an internal journey mm. but maybe the only journey I need to take this week or the only journey I need to invite my family to take is just a journey of lament and of saying Guys, this is really hard, isn't it? I think I've been putting out a lot of energy to keep everyone's spirits up. You know, mm-hmm. every let, let's stay cheerful. Let's you know, mm-hmm. um, let's not complain um, because, yeah, I mean, you know, we get tired of hearing our children complain. <laughs> um, but maybe this is the week for it. This is the week just to acknowledge. Gosh, things are really broken. Things are really messed up. Mm-hmm. Um, this is hard. And then to remember that Jesus didn't rush past those emotions. Jesus, Mm -hmm. too, recognized, oh, this is really hard. This is really bad. This is really sad. Mm -hmm. And and it's worth crying
1: about. I think there's such power in that honesty. And I think as parents, it's okay to invite our children into it, if ever there was a week for it, in the church calendar and in a global experience. And I'll say this— I wasn't going to tell this part, but it made me think so much that what you shared resonates with a truth here for us as the bakers. And like you, we've had, you know, joyful parts of this quarantine, you know. And as parents, we've wanted to point our kids and focusing on that. And um, when I got the news about my dad, when he shared just really honestly about what's at risk, the decisions they're making— I had been out taking a walk. Let's be honest, I had been out hiding from my children outside. (laughs) And I was sitting on an Adirondack chair that's by this old fire pit uh, on kind of a big lot behind one of our neighbor's houses. And I was just sitting there in the sun, deeply, deeply sad and feeling deeply alone with that news and not knowing what to do about it. And I got a text message from Peter who said, oh, my gosh, I just saw the message about your dad. Where are you? Are you still walking? Are you okay? I'm so sorry. Please come home. And I didn't realize till then like the power of having somebody else be sad with you. Mm. And I walked in the front door and just started sobbing. And Peter walked to meet me and didn't say anything. He just wrapped me in this huge bear hug and just held me as I sobbed. And our kids had no idea (laughs) what was going on. But you know... The power of lament means that it invites everybody and tells them you're on some kind of holy ground. My Mm. children stopped everything they were doing. They turned Mm. off the TV, they (laughs) dropped their books, and they just ran and wrapped their arms around me and Pete as we stood and I cried. And they didn't say anything. They just held us. They just knew that was the answer. And we stood in this huddle by the front door as I cried and Pete held me and my kids just rubbed their, I'm not going to lie, sweaty bodies like they didn't smell great. They haven't been showering (laughs) regularly. These like teenage boys like wrapped around us. And I cried and I just thought, wow, wow, like this right here. This is what lament does. And then this is the response of the church. It just wraps itself around you and says, I'm just going to stand here. I don't really understand why, but I'm just going to be sad with you. I'm just going to love you. And I think that this week, that's really what we're leaning into. You know, if like we eat the chocolate bunnies we happen to have and don't hunt them, (laughs) that's fine. (laughs) While we feel sad and we check in on our families, there's something very honest this week about letting yourself be sad. Because Mm -hmm. if God Himself felt sad and He knows the end of the story, it's okay. It's okay Mm -hmm. for us too, as well. We don't actually have to have a pretty bow or decorations or colored eggs. Like we don't Mm -hmm. have to have those Mm -hmm. things this week. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm glad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And we can have them if we want to. I mean, Mm -hmm. right? There's Mm -hmm. time and place, but I think permission this week to be really honest. Mm -hmm. And I think. In some ways, to be grateful for the small thread of connection to those 2000 years ago. Yeah. And the deep sense of insecurity and fear that was prevalent at the time. And yet, here we are on the other side and we know how the story ends. Mm-hmm. And yet, I maybe will end here. So, one of my teenage sons said to me the other day, you know, after Jesus was raised and he, Thomas doesn't believe. <laughs> Jesus shows up and proves it to him in person. And then Jackson said to me, but look here, did you see this next verse? Do you see where the Bible says, well, you saw and you believe, but even greater blessing on those who haven't seen and they believe. And he goes, do you know that God is talking about us right here? Yo, Jesus said this about us. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and I think it's so true. Us and the saints and my dad and you and yeah. neighbors who send toilet paper and all mm-hmm. of us who follow the signpost, who mm-hmm. don't just see it, who follow the signpost that points to Jesus Jesus. He was talking about us way back then. He knew that it would take great faith to believe without seeing with your eyes, and so that's the other story, the other half of this week.
0: Mm-hmm. That's good. Tell your tell your boys thank you. I'll remember that, <laughs>
1: <laughs> listeners. So we think about you and we love you this week, and we just hope that you receive this conversation as a signpost that is pointing, it's pointing to the hope of a God who really is going to come again, who has promised us life, life to the full, and we don't have to be afraid. We can lament, and we can be sad, and we can comfort each other, but we don't have to be afraid. And this week, we pray that this conversation is a small part of helping you make sense of what feels like these extraordinary days.